All right, everybody, and welcome to Linux in the Ham Shack. Uh, thank you all for coming back to see us one more time. Uh, my name is Richard, KB5JBV, and I was listening a few weeks ago back to the Scientific American podcast, and one of the individuals on the show said something to the effect of there are no chimpanzees hosting podcasts. Well, I'm here to assure you, and you will be agreeing with me by the end of the show, that I am your monkey man. Over in the pine forest is uh, our co-host, the lovely and vivacious Russ, K5TUX. Go ahead and say hello, Russ. Hello, everybody, from the gently rolling Ozark Mountains and the pine hills of northern Arkansas. This is Russ, K5TUX. We got plenty of folks in the chat room this evening. Uh, I'd like to say hello to Cheryl, Tim, uh, Leatherwolf, and S70 Volvo One. That sounds a bit like a car crash. It looks like we've lost Ted, but maybe he'll be back in a little while. Russ, you ready to do some email? I'm ready to do some email, although I'll let you do the first one while I dig up one of my own. All righty. Well, uh, let me go ahead and start. Take this one. Uh, Tim, who's with us here tonight in the chat room, I asked him here a while back to kind of keep me informed. Um, you know, at one point I did a Linux episode on re, uh, resonant frequency and asked Tim to keep me informed with what was going on. And Tim writes, finally, right now I'm on the IBM T21 running Ubuntu 7.10 and Firefox 3.0. Getting any Linux distro to run on this machine was a challenge. Kubuntu proceeded to trash the BIOS, but I luckily had backed back them up on the flash drive. I didn't have the software to restore the BIOS, and IBM Lenovo didn't either. I spoke to an old friend in the IT department, I guess, and found it. he found it for me. Ubuntu didn't crash it, probably because of the absence of KDE from what I can tell. Gnome is fine. I listened to LHS 13 earlier today. Good stuff. Looking forward to getting G-Rig running on this machine. Just have to figure out which radio to plug it into. Richard, work has slowed down enough that I can take a breath again. I know you understand where I'm coming from so that I can start contributing and kibitzing again. You guys will always be number one in my opinion. Your friend and eternal fan, Tim, KI6BGE in SoCal. It ain't North Texas, but it's home. Well, Tim, I've never, I don't think I've ever said anything derogatory about Southern California. Some of the, uh, some of the folks I know the best here in Texas came from there. So, I, anyway, thank you, Tim. And I'm glad you're, uh, things have slowed down for you. We got a new project going. I'll talk about that in a little bit and you can help out. Okay, uh, what do you got, Russ? Well, let's see. What did I dig up here? I I have a blog post from Tim. Can't actually make out the call sign on this one because there seems to be one too many letters. Did you get this one? I have been in a quandary over that myself and have looked at it several times. Yes, it has one too many letters in it, but that's okay because it's their blog site and they can put whatever they want to on there. The one thing I can be guaranteed, because I did a little research or as much as I could, is that they're in Australia. Okay, well, this one was an email that referenced, uh, I'm sorry, this was a Google alert that referenced a post on a blog called Homebrew from Kim. And the letters we have are VK5FNET. Obviously, there's one too many there. But the article, or the post, says, Recently, I've been listening to a couple of podcasts about ham radio, homebrew, computers, and Linux. I have been hanging out for the next podcast from Bill and to CQR. Bill usually posts once a fortnight and keeps an interesting blog called Solder Smoke. I think we may have mentioned Solder Smoke on a previous episode. A couple of weeks back, I found Linux in the Ham Shack, which is self-explanatory, really. Russ, K5TUX, and Richard, KB5JBV, aim to walk you through all the popular things you're likely to do with computers in ham radio. Assume radio experience, but not Linux experience. I have at least an hour bus trip to work and then another hour home again, so these podcasts help fill the voids in my head with useful radio thoughts. And that's the blog post on the Homebrew blog by Kim. Pretty self-explanatory there. 
We appreciate the mention and the good word. Do you have anything else to add about that? Well, actually, I was going to say I really appreciate them putting, making, giving us a mention on their blog. That's definitely one. I, I went and looked at some of the other articles on it. I think it will be a, a fine addition to our our blog roll, our list of links over at the website. So uh, y'all stay tuned for that, and y'all can go take a look. The next one I got, Russ likes those hard ones. The The next one I've got is a, uh, a short and sweet and straightforward and to the point. It says, hello, Richard. Thanks for the referral during LHS 13 about the Practical Amateur Radio Podcast. I appreciate it. 73's Jerry. Now, Jerry Taylor, he runs Practical Amateur Radio Podcast. Y'all uh, give it a listen if you give get a chance. Uh, he's starting to back off on his production schedule a little bit, and we all do that. Y'all know that Resonant Frequency comes out once a month, but uh, y'all go on out over and uh, and take a look at Jerry. Jerry, Jerry, come to me asking questions when he first got into it, and uh, I'm happy to see that it's taken off. You been over to uh, Practical Amateur Radio Podcast, Russ? I haven't checked it out in a couple of weeks, but I just updated my iPod this evening, and I plan to listen to him tonight while I'm doing some work. And if I don't finish listening to all those episodes, I'll finish them up on my drive back to Missouri on Thursday evening. Well, Jer- Jerry can definitely be considered a friend of the show because he has helped us out. We've helped him out. He's a good fellow. Okay, what what you got next, Russ? I have a comment on my 73s.org page from a frequent, I guess you could call him, poster or replier or feedbacker to the site. It's from uh, XE1GXG down in Jalisco, Mexico. He posted about a week ago and said, The Linux in the Hamshack podcast has been very useful. I've not logged in there recently, but have downloaded, listened to, and appreciated all the programs thus far. Glad you're interested in music. Some of the tunes you've posted are really great. Saludos desde Mexico. No influenza here. So I guess he uh, avoided the swine flu, and thank you very much for the comment. Actually, I think it was a biological weapon from south of the border. (laughs) (laughs) All righty, next up on my plate here, we've got, uh, okay, let me explain this to y'all. This is a blog, uh, a post that showed up in a Google alert on a blog site in Japan. And the blog site is written, except for the title, completely in Japanese. And the Google alert I got tried to (laughs) translate translate it. But uh, let's just leave it at saying we'd like to thank the uh, folks over at at world.jp stroke radio shack for uh, making some uh, nice comments for us on their blog. About the only thing for sure I can pull out of this is Triscodecophobia. So I know it's us. They're talking about us. And it's got to be good because even though I am not the greatest podcaster in the world, Russ is the talent in this outfit. So what else do you have, Russ? Uh, One thing I did have is there is another post on iTunes, another review, a five-star review. Unfortunately, I don't have a way to pull up iTunes right now, and I did want to get a mention in of the person who who posted it, but I can't. Ooh, five but, stars. Yep, there's another five star. I promise that next podcast I'll make sure to get that information and let everyone know who it was. Well, I asked for people to go sign up at iTunes and uh, review the podcast last last episode, and we did get another one. Well, so now you got, now you go got me wondering what machine I can bring up iTunes on here. I could probably bring up iTunes, but this machine's already busy enough, and I uh, just have this feeling that something bad will happen if I try it. Let's not mess with perfection. Yeah. Okay. Well, then, if you don't have your iTunes, then let's forge ahead. The next one we have is from KI6FEN. You probably covered this, in, and I just missed it, but I think it would be nice to hear about why... You feel Linux makes sense over the alternatives, which I guess are Windows and OS ten. I use Windows at work because, well, they tell me to. I use OS ten at home because, well, my wife tells me to. That right there is two good reasons. Now, you guys are telling me to use Linux. 
Okay, but why? And we're going to answer some of that, those questions. I meant to read that one last, but we're going to we're going to talk about that a few minutes when we get to the end of the email segment. Okay, so uh, what else have you got, Russ? Let's see. Did you get this one? Nope, this one came just to me. Uh, it's from Myron Romero, KC5OHG. Uh, he emailed me and said, I just downloaded Ubuntu 9.04. How do I put it on my computer? Can I place it on SanDisk? I have an iMac. I run Windows on VMware. So either I install it there or run it on SanDisk. Well, I think we're going to talk a little bit about uh, installing or talk about Ubuntu 904 a little bit later in the episode. But what I would recommend is getting and downloading Episode 7, and we walk you through installing Ubuntu. Now, we did Ubuntu 8.1.0, but the installation procedure for 9.04 should be pretty much the same. And anything that's different about it, I'm sure Richard's going to talk about later. Get Episode 7. Check that out. Install it under VMware. Since you are using VMware, that'll be the easiest way to do it. And that should go pretty well for you. If you have a specific question, feel free to email us back with that, and we'll try and answer it more directly. We'll talk about that a little bit when we get to 904. Uh, We're going to talk about 904 since it came out recently, but uh, we're not going to get too terribly in-depth with it. We may have to back up and start again. But, yes, uh, go back to that other episode. Uh, The installation procedure should be about the same. We'll get back to that. We'll get back to that one way or the other. I have one more here from Alex, who we talked about in the last episode, OZ9AEC, who we will interview at some point in the future. But he emailed me about episode number 12 and said, Thanks for a great episode. It's always fun listening to you guys. Here is some additional info about GRIG regarding what you talked about. When you set up a desktop shortcut in GNOME, GRIG doesn't appear to have an icon because I haven't included a .desktop file in the package. We'll fix that for next version. However, when you set up a shortcut, you can choose a radio-like icon that comes with GRIG, and it's located at slash USR slash share slash PixMaps slash GRIG slash IC910.png. And I'll make sure to post that in the show notes, because I'm sure no one's typing it right now. Also, I'm thinking of a way to avoid the command line interface for the next version of GRIG, something similar to how you start Ham Radio Deluxe. And he also comments that he doesn't speak Texan. So I guess when we do the interview, we don't have to worry about that. Well, yeah, I saw that comment, and I forgot to make a copy of it uh, <laughs> for some reason. But, uh, yeah, I'll be happy to have him on here. It would be nice to uh, some of these folks that write the software, get them on here and uh, let them tell folks how it works because I myself am not likely to come to the correct assumption. All right. Well, I have a couple here from Jeff, WB5WCK, WB5WCK. And uh, the first one was just wanted to drop you a line to let you know I really enjoy the LHS podcast. I enjoy it so much, I put a link on my website to it at kb5wck.com. Check it out, Jeff. And the follow-up was, uh, I have recently found your podcast and am diligently trying to get caught up. One question, though, what software are you using to make your podcast? Keep up the good work and 73s, Jeff. Jeff, I've already answered him. Uh, in fact, we sent four or five emails back and forth, and I found out that Jeff's got uh, got some kiddos that are interested in trying to put together a podcast. And uh, I went ahead and let him know that on this end, I use Audacity for uh, most of the stuff. When Russ and I connect, you know, Russ records all the stuff, and uh, I do record a copy over here on Audacity and send it to him. We communicate via Skype, and uh, then Russ works his magic over there with his magic fruit-filled computer and <laughs> and uh, makes it sound as good as it does. If it wasn't for Russ, I keep telling everybody, Russ is a godsend because he keeps me from sounding like a complete idiot. So uh, what else are you using over there besides the uh, the standard, Russ? We communicate over Skype, and we I use the Skype audio if for some reason I can't get Richard's audio. I record everything else using Audacity. I'm using Audacity on Mac OS X for reasons I won't get into right now. 
I have all this other cool recording gear that makes everything work right, usually. <laughs> and Richard's going to have all his cool recording gear here pretty quick too. So we're gonna we're gonna sound really good. Well, you know that's a, that takes a bit of going. You know, Russ pushed me to get on the video, and I keep tr- kept trying to tell him I have a face that was made for podcasting, not vod not vodcasting, not video podcasting, but podcasting. And those of you in the chat room, you you know what I'm talking about. Okay, last one on my plate. That's okay, is, because uh, I make you look good. <laughs> you make me sound good anyway. Uh, <laughs> okay, the last one I have on my plate is from KI4YMD. Oh, there's an awful lot of Ds in these call signs nowadays, Ms and Ds. Uh, anyway, um, his comment says, I use Xlog with some Perl scripts to keep track of things. I've just received a SignalLink USB and have done well with FL Digi. Is there a SSTV program other than QSSTV? I cannot seem to get QSSTV to use stroke dev stroke DSP1 versus the default on the board, onboard card in my computer. 73KI4YMD. And I believe I responded to that. I'm not sure. I'll have to go back and check. But we will, uh, we're going to talk about that slow scan TV a little bit, a little later. Yes, y'all have an action packed show ahead of you. So with that, uh, you got anything else in the email vein, Russ? No, I don't. I just wanted to put out a quick, I know we're going to talk about the SSTV thing, but, uh, as far as, uh, the dev DSP one, one thing you might be able to do is, go into the BIOS before he boots up his computer and turn off the internal sound card. That will generally make your USB or any other sound device the default. And then he may not even have to use DSP-1. Just uh, something to try as a possible workaround for that situation. But we'll get to SSTV here in a little bit. And that is something we'll get back into here in a few minutes. All right, Russ. Well, if you don't have anything else, uh, we've probably been going long enough here. Let's go ahead and... Uh and shoot them a short break and some of that wonderful music that you're so good at rooting out. We'll be right back, y'all.
are back. That is some... Uh, Russ picks that music, man. I'm telling you. Still ain't got no Brad Sucks going on, but I'm sure he'll get around to it. Oh, uh, now, right, wait we'll... a minute. Wait, wait a minute. <laughs> Did you not yeah. listen to the last episode? I must not have been paying attention. Yeah, first break in the last episode was Brad Sucks, so... <laughs> well, all right, I stand corrected. What do you expect from a chimpanzee podcasting? Where was I? For those of you that are also listeners to Resonant Frequency, the Amateur Radio Podcast, uh, the show I do solo about once a month, uh, we've made some changes over to the website. If you are already a signed up uh, uh, user over there at the website, the uh, Resonant Frequency website, you will probably need to go back over and sign in again. We have moved off of WordPress onto Drupal. Uh, simply because we wanted to get the AUG feed happening, and I wasn't smart enough to do it with WordPress. So not only do we have a new framework underneath the website over there, we also have an AUG feed. So those of you that have been wanting to download Resonant Frequency, the amateur radio podcast, as an AUG, uh, you can go on over and click on the feed and get it going. I still haven't figured out how to make it through feed burner, so... Our statistics will be a little off for a while, but that's okay. Uh, y'all go over, check in, look around, sign up. Uh, we're also looking for uh, folks who want to do the occasional uh, amateur radio article. Some members, we can go ahead and let them have have blogs so they can write about uh, amateur-related stuff. Just go on over and check it out. My dad likes it, and he don't like nothing. Uh, have you had a chance to be able to go over there yet, Russ? No, as a matter of fact, I haven't gotten over there. I can go there right now and tell you what I think of it. It's a, it was a secret. Well, it's <laughs> not finished yet, but go look at it. Russ is now going to give you a, ref- a review of the brand new Resonant Frequency, the Amateur Radio Podcast website. Well, look at that. Hey, that's spiffy. Got a little yeah. uh, solar data up at the top. Nice uh, gradient background and cool. That's pretty cool looking. Quite an yeah, upgrade. Yeah. Y'all go over and check it out. It looks a lot better than that WordPress theme. That that theme's out of the box, but it's got so many places to put stuff, I don't know if I'll ever find enough. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, if I'd have spent more time, uh, sooner or later we're going to move uh, Black Sparrow Media over onto Drupal if I can make it look that much better because I've never been happy the way, with the way it looks. Okay, uh, we got that. We're not going to say anything about Southeast Linux Fest because everybody else has. Okay, in the previous segment, we were uh, reading some emails, and they turned out to be the topic of our show tonight because they're such easy pickings. That's the great thing about y'all sending feedback. Uh, We don't even have to do anything, and we've got a show. So uh, let's jump back to the one from KI6FEN where uh, y'all might remember that when he was talking about they tell him at work to use Windows, his wife tells him to use Apple at home. And uh, now we're telling him to use Linux, and I imagine he's all confused. So, first of all, let me say that we have never actually said anything bad about Apple or Macintosh computers. And one of the reasons on my side of it is is that OS X is based on a brother of Linux, which is BSD. So, uh, after talking to some guys that do run the Apples, um, I found out that it's not so bad, other than their money-grubbing, proprietary folks that don't want anybody to use their stuff but that's just my opinion i'm kind of upset that they're suing people over posting stuff about hacking into the ipods so you don't have to use their software to load them but as far as apple's the operating system are concerned it's my understanding that they're really really good and their hardware works in ways that i would never imagine uh chris over at the linux action show was the doing editing with Chris over here at Ustream TV a few nights back, uh, maybe a week back. And I was sitting watching him, and he had enough video that it was probably going to take him about 15, 20 hours to compile it all and crunch it all down the way it needed to be. But he was able to link all his Apple computers together, use the processing power of all those machines, and uh, be able to get it done and out of the way in about three hours. Whereas I'm not an Apple user, and I really haven't used an Apple since the Apple II, I'm not really qualified to talk about Apples. However, I have used Windows. What's your opinion on Apples versus Linux? I'm kind of a fan of everything, really, as long as it does what I need it to do. And like I said, we're recording this whole thing live 
and to the podcast and using Audacity on macOS right now. Yes, I'm not particularly fond of their proprietary ways and the way that they try, they keep developers down on their uh, mobile platforms, but I guess no one's perfect. Um, I even use Windows wherever possible, but I also use open source software on it, that, that being the difference, I guess. So I don't have anything in particular against any operating system as long as it does what I need. Just like to use Linux because it's free, you know, always, always good to have something very inexpensive to deal with instead of having to go out to a big box store and shell out 150 bucks or whatever it is for a copy of Vista. Just download Linux and go. And now that the software packages are coming up in the world and you can run almost anything on Linux that you can on Windows, that's falling behind as an excuse not to use it. You know, software for macOS tends to be pretty expensive as well, except where you can find cross-platform open-source software, things like Audacity, which run on any, you know, every platform, butter-free. So why, uh, so why use Linux? Well, because it's free, uh, as in beer and as in speech, which is the more important of the two things, I think. And because as an operating environment, you can honestly do more with it. And it's easier to troubleshoot because you can get deeper into it without having to go the proprietary way of Windows and Mac OS. We did mention that Mac OS is based on BSD, which is open source software. But, of course, everything they put on top of it is not. So it's a, a hybrid, if you want to call it that. When you talk some more about it and come back around, I'll have a few more points to make about Linux and its uses. You're going to have different operating systems. Different people are going to do things different ways. In the case of uh, um, Apple, uh, the school district here uses Apple computers. In the case of work environment, chances are uh, the folks that have been setting up that uh, that office and stuff have been using Microsoft for quite a while. It's what they're familiar with. It's what they feel works and that kind of stuff. So uh, that's what you're going to end up with. You know, there are security issues with the Windows, but there are security issues with all operating systems. It's just not as prevalent with the Macs and the uh, Linux machines, simply because we have a smaller market share, number one. There are tools, sufficient tools in Windows to make sure that you don't have viruses and crashes and stuff like that. Unfortunately, your average PC user is not really interested in spending the time to let that stuff run and get in their way. Linux is not so much an operating system to supplant other operating systems as much as it is something to supplement other operating systems. A lot of your uh, appliances use uh, embedded Linux, and when I say appliances, I mean routers, cell phones, stuff like that. For those of us that are tired of riding the uh, crash and burn distributions from Microsoft, and that's the reason I got off the Microsoft wagon for the most part, is um, it's a good alternative because it's becoming a competitive operating system with Microsoft Windows. It's no secret that I run Windows machines here, but as a rule, the Linux machines run much better, much faster and with a lot fewer problems. Uh, I know folks that have to reboot their computer, whether they want to or not, at least twice a day. And they're all running Windows. I've got some computers over here that are running uh, as uh, file servers that sometimes I go six, eight months without rebooting them and go reboot them just to give them the exercise. As far as uh, which ones to use... That's kind of your choice, but I really think you ought to check out the alternatives, and uh, with all the Linux distributions that are out there, and the fact that uh, a whole boatload of them are designed to be user-friendly for the desktop user, I think you're missing out if you don't go out there and at least uh, download a few live CDs and check them out. I think you're missing the boat, too. It's definitely something worth looking at, and as far as Windows is concerned and reliability... When we don't have a crash on our Windows machines, we generally have to reboot them at least once a week. Otherwise, they become so slow they're unusable. One thing I thought of when you were talking was support. People might be afraid of Linux because it doesn't have support. It doesn't have paid support. You know, you can't call up 
some person behind a Microsoft desk and get help with your operating system. But to that, I would say if you've ever called Microsoft tech support, I wouldn't call it comparable and I wouldn't call it worth it for the operating system to get support because Microsoft support's never been good in my estimation. You can find just as much information out in the community by sending an email or going to an IRC channel or posting on a blog and probably get your response faster than you would a telephone call to Microsoft. There's a lot of diehard Linux users out here, there, a lot of uh, militantly uh, serious Linux users out there. You know, the fact of the matter is, all these particular operating systems have strengths and weaknesses, and you have to kind of figure out which one you like best. Okay, I think we probably talked on that a little bit, and now your wife won't be mad at us. Your boss might be mad at us, but we don't care because he's your boss, not ours. And even if he was my boss, I've been known to tell more than one of them what I think about it. Okay, so, uh, boy, we got lengthy on that one. Let's start off this next little segment, and then we'll take us a break in the middle. Okay, uh, the next email was about uh, the SignalLink USB and Q, uh, QSS TV. Let's talk about uh, let's talk about the uh, DSP uh, problem first. Now, what's described in this email is the fact that uh, you can't get the QSS TV to acknowledge DSP one. Russ gave you one option. Uh, what I did was I went over to I went ahead and uh, loaded QSS TV into my box over here, and. Uh, went ahead and fired it up i was having some issues with it so i went ahead and shut it down went over to the qss tv website got the source code i made an attempt to compile it which is not one of my things and uh wasn't successful so i backed up used the one in the repository again and worked with it a while and i was in fact having a problem with it acknowledging any sound card and then i worked with it a while and finally figured out that one of the problems I had was that particular machine had a USB headset plugged into it, which I have used for uh, various and sundry things concerning the podcast and this, that, and other. And I unplugged the headset, rebooted the machine, and then attempted to configure the sound card one more time. Now, once I did that, it had no problem finding the... Uh, what it needed to find at DSP zero. Well, in your situation, if you do have an onboard sound card, my suggestion would be to follow Russ's advice and go into the BIOS and disable it. If that's not the case, uh, you may be able to find a tutorial out there that will help you go in and assign specific addresses to specific sound devices a little more advanced than we uh we uh talk about here but i'm sure there's a lot of information out there to do that in fact i've seen uh different tutorials on reassigning devices here and there in fact uh, i believe it was gutsy gibbon ubuntu gutsy gibbon uh would not acknowledge my usb headset and i had to go in and tell it where it was going to be so what do you think about on that, Russ? Yeah, that's exactly right. And one thing you definitely want to check out just to make your life easy is to go to your command line, if you're willing to do that, and use the LSPCI and LSUSB commands if for no other reason than to make sure that you only have one sound device recognized in the system. Therefore, if you only have one sound device, it's always going to use the default DSP. So if you have something, you know, enabled in the BIOS, turn it off if you have another USB. And some some devices, you know, you may not, like if you have a USB uh, Bluetooth adapter that's connected to a headset, that might be registered as a uh, sound device. So you want to turn that off as well. Just make sure that whatever sound device you want to use, whether it's the signal link or a PCI card in your computer, is the only one that's accessible to the mixer the software mixer in Linux. That way it'll always be using the default DSP device and you should have no problems in accessing it, whether you're using a native Linux application or like something under Wine that wants whatever the default sound device is. In either case, that should work. So hopefully that will get you through and uh, allow you to use your SignalLink uh, without any problems. Now, we've given you all that information, which probably has, you, has your brain spinning, 
it's good stuff. Go back and listen to it again if you didn't get it all. But I will say there's another way. And as my buddy Gene Steinberg over at the Paragas says, we'll call that a cliffhanger. We'll be right back, y'all. for the music to play because the music is part of it a lot of shows out there i just listen to them for the music them guys over at linux outlaws man i, I can't hardly sit still through some of their some of their crap even though uh they have a lot of good information y'all check them out if you get a chance i received an email sometime back we did an earlier show when we were talking about software that you could run under the linux operating system for different types of amateur radio activities and I made mention of QSS TV, which is the program which that particular email was referencing. Now, I got the QSS TV to work finally on my system, but it seems the current version, or at least the current version I had my hands on, and I don't know the version number because I don't have access to that at the moment, 
for some reason it doesn't seem to hear as well as it did when I used to use it. Now, I don't know if that's uh, my hardware, something in the code, whatever. So, since we're having trouble with QSS TV, it seems, let's move on to something else. We were talking about Windows a while ago and that kind of stuff. There are strengths and weaknesses in all th- all operating systems, I said. That sounds a bit, a bit like sage wisdom, even though uh, I'm not exactly sage. I'm more of a lobster color. Anyway, what we're looking at is taking a Windows program and running it under Linux. Now, there are Windows programs out there that will run under Linux, but you have to have some sort of translation layer between the Linux and the particular program you're running. Now, the most common program for running Windows software on a Linux box is called Wine. And I believe it stands for Wine is not an emulator. Now, I don't know why they would call it that because it is. Well, it's a compatibility layer. And it's also one of those recursive acronyms that uh, the Linux guys like so much. A lot of times they don't make a lot of sense, but who am I to judge? So, what we'll need to do is go over to the, go over to the add software repositories, uh, using Synaptic, Adept, whatever you use for your particular distribution, uh, go over to your repositories and find your most current copy of Wine. You can download it from the Wine website. Let me, uh, you know what? I had a bunch of windows open in here earlier so that I could talk about this more intelligently. If you go over to www.wineenqwinehq, I said NQ, then hq.org, and uh, take a look around. When you get over there, you'll be at Wine HQ. It'll tell you about new releases on the front page. There's a wiki, which will, is a good place to get some information. There's also an app database, which is available from the front page, bug reports, and forums. Now, the app database, you can scroll on down, take a look, and everything's going to be lovely, but it's kind of difficult to navigate, so make sure you got a little time. Now, the reason we're going to install Wine is so that we can run MMSSTV over the top of it. Now, MMSSTV is written by J3HHT Mikado Mori, and he has a whole line of programs like this. He has Ready Software and some other stuff. But the one we're interested in tonight is a very pretty simple slow scan TV program that's designed to run on Windows 95, 98, MENT, 2000, XP, and I bet it'll even run on Vista. But we're going to load this program on top and see about using it. First thing we're going to have to do is bring down a copy of Wine and get that running. So, since Russ knows way more about this stuff than I do. Well, Wine is a great tool. They call it Wine is not an emulator because it doesn't actually emulate Windows. What it does is allows you to run native Windows applications using the native DLL files under Linux. It's almost as if you're running the applications in Linux directly, but you're using all the Windows. You're using a layer, kind of a shim between Linux and Windows in order to get your applications to work properly, and there's a few pass-throughs between Wine and the Linux kernel to allow things like sound and serial ports and peripherals to be passed back and forth uh, into your Wine applications. Now, if you're going to run something like MMSSTV, what you're going to have to do is you're going to have to download the executable. Um, if it's an installer, you'll have to download the installer. It, I assume it is an installer, Yes. You can get it out of the package repositories. I don't know uh, about an installer from the actual website. Well, either way, what you would do is you'd you'd run it the same way that you would under Windows. You have to make sure that you install Wine under Debian or under Ubuntu. Um, You get it from the packages or download the source, build it, and install it that way. Either way will work fine. You can, I believe the stable version 1.0 is included in the uh Debian and Ubuntu repositories. If you install that, it will create a couple of uh, menu icons on your desktop, not on your desktop, in your in your desktop menus, your drop-downs. So you download your application, MMSSTV, 
if it has an installer like a .exe file or something like that, what you'll do is drop down into a command prompt, go to wherever your installer is downloaded at, and you'll type wine and the name of the installer. And what that will do is it will run the installer in the wine environment and do all the things. You'll see the screen, the windows pop up just as if they were in Windows. They'll look just like Windows windows because they use all the native DLLs, and it will do an install. If it doesn't have an installer, what you'll have to do is you'll have to go into the directory where wine is installed, which is in your home directory under .wine, and you'll see a directory there called fake underscore uh, windows. And you go into that directory and you'll see the drive structure with like program files and C drive and windows and all of the things you'd see on a windows drive. And you'll have to extract, you know, like unzip the files, put them into something under program files and uh, set it up just as if you were going to do the same thing under windows. Your default directory is your home directory dot wine slash fake underscore windows. And then once you've done that, you can usually, if it's an installer, wine is nice enough to, under your application tab, you'll drop it down and you'll see wine among your other things like games, ham radio, internet, office, so on and so forth. And I'm doing this under Debian, but Ubuntu should be about the same. You'll go to wine and under there, there'll be programs, and your program, like MMSSTV, should show up in there. And all you have to do is click on MMSSTV, and it should start up and run, just like it would under Windows. Now, you may have some issues with desktop sizing and stuff like that. If you do, you can go up to the Applications drop-down again, go to Accessories. I'm sorry, not Accessories. Go to System Tools, and you should see Wine Configuration under there. If you select that, you'll get a pop-up that looks a lot like a Windows configuration dialog, and there are lots of options in here you can tweak. You'll see all of the applications that you have downloaded. You can also use this to do the install. There's a button that says Add Application. You click on Add Application, browse to wherever your executable is, click on it, and this will do the install. And if you do it this way, it should work the same as doing it the other way by going to the console and typing wine and the name of your application, which will allow you to see your launcher and everything inside the drop-down menu. So either way, it should work. You can also select which version of Windows you want to install it under. Windows XP, the default, should work for almost anything. Unless it's a really old, uh, like, 16-bit application, you might want to try Windows 95 or something like that. Now, under graphics, under the graphics tab, you can change some of the options. You can change how uh, 3D rendering is handled, change the way the window decorations look like they would under Windows or like they would under Linux. You can also emulate a desktop. So if you get a poorly sized application under your Windows or under your Linux environment, you can emulate a virtual desktop and say that you want it to be 1280 by 1024 or something like that, and then your application will run inside of a Windows desktop, essentially. You can select hardware support, screen resolution size, and tweak a lot of other things to make your Wine install look and feel a lot like Windows. And once you get this done, as long as you've taken care of the fact that you... Make sure that your sound card is the default because you need you need access to a rig interface using HamLive for MMSS TV in order to access your rig so that you can actually send and receive pictures using SlowScan. So make sure, like we talked about before with your signal link or something like that, that whatever sound card you're going to use and whatever serial port or USB port you're going to use for your connection to your rig are the defaults. That'll make things easier. Otherwise, you're going to have to go into your Wine config and potentially tweak which devices your Wine install is going to use. Best to avoid that whole issue entirely if you can just by using the defaults, like TTYS0, the default serial port. USB shouldn't be that big an issue, but for sound cards, you make you know you want to make sure there's only one, so you're using the default DSP device. Have I hit the major points on this? 
Yeah, that's pretty much what I was thinking we needed to let them know. Now, I'm sorry we kind of dropped this on y'all, but it kind of falls into line with the uh, SSTV question, and uh, wine was definitely one of the things we were going to get to when we got through this series of amateur radio applications and uh, that kind of stuff. But this is an issue. Folks want to get it working. I myself, if I had a US a signal link USB sitting on the counter at the house, I'd be chomping it to bit to get it going. You have to remember, Linux is not Windows as far as uh, development is concerned, but Linux has got a big head start. And just about anything you can do in Windows, you can do in Linux. Sometimes you just have to hold your mouth right. Now that we've got it installed and underwind and everything else, and uh, we've got it going, we've got the port squared away and everything else, uh, I'll tell y'all right now, the way I install it is exactly the way Russ says to, said to, is go into a terminal, uh, type wine and then the application name, fires right up, goes into the menu under the, under the, uh, application menu up at the top of the screen. It even put an icon on my desktop. So you can't hardly beat that. Now we've got MMSS TV in, installed. For those of you who haven't used it, um, it's pretty pretty simple. You've got a toolbar up at the top that will give you the information to work with, and we're not going to get into a long, lengthy tutorial on how to set it up, but there are a few things you do need to know. You'll need to go to the Options, which is located in that toolbar, and click on the Input level to adjust the level of the incoming uh, signal into the computer. That ought to come on up and give you audio level. If you're not able to access it that way, access it through the uh, mixer in Wine. You also want to set up the uh, station information, get the push-to-talk set up and everything else inside this, just like you would inside any other operating system. Okay? Uh, on the transmit side, you're going to need to uh, tell it what, what port you're going to key your transmitter and that kind of stuff. You put your call sign in. And you've even got a place where you can go in and change some of the other stuff. If you're not really familiar with uh, some of the settings in, in a slow-scan TV program, then you probably don't want to change a whole lot of stuff until you get a little more used to it. There's also a place in there for logging. I'm not sure it's going to reach outside of Wine to do that. But the whole point is, if you want to log a, a contact... I always write stuff down on a piece of paper and put it in the log later, so uh, uh, that's not a big issue for me. Now, we're going to keep watching QSS-TV and see uh, what's going on with it. I'm going to try and work with it a little more. I haven't run any slow scan in quite a while, so it's probably not going to hurt me to uh, get it up and running and play a little bit. Now, one of the things we're also doing is looking at uh, the new digital slow scan and how we might be able to run that under the Linux operating system also. So, one more thing on MMSSTV. Now that you have it installed, underwind on your Linux machine. Now, this is purely theoretical. I have been told that it works this way, and we would never condone doing something like this, but it's my understanding that there are ham radio operators out there that have had to go get a copy of MS Paint out of a copy of Windows that they may have and install it under Wine so that they would be able to make their pictures for the slow scan TV to edit their pictures and stuff like that. Once again, I have simply heard this as far as... Uh, for educational purposes and that kind of stuff and really would never advise anybody to do it but it's my understanding that there are some people out there doing it uh, you can normally find that in your standard system directory in microsoft windows i'm not sure that advocating that is necessarily a bad thing especially if you're running an environment where you're dual booting and you have a copy of paint on the same machine maybe microsoft's got this uh very arcane wording in their license structure that somehow prevents that. But if you're running the same version of Paint on the same machine, I'm not sure they can really say anything. If you're going to run Windows, do run it legally at least. We definitely wouldn't condone bootleg copies. In fact, that's one of the reasons we run Linux, so we don't have to run bootleg copies. 
as far as MMSSTV is concerned, y'all go out and play with it and use it. It's a pretty simple program. That's the great thing about uh, this stuff from uh, J3HHT because most of these programs he has over at his website are pretty simple. Let me throw y'all some URLs before we get completely away from the subject. Once again, wine can be found at www.winehq.org. And more specifically, so y'all can go check the app database and the forums. Uh, as far as the software itself, it should be available in the repositories. And in fact, I went over and checked a while ago and wine 1.0.1 is available in the Ubuntu repositories at this time. MMSSTV, you'll be able to find that over at mmhamsoft.amateur-radio.ca. That's a long one. mmhamsoft.amateur-radio.ca. And that's going to be, uh, Mikado's site. And if you're still interested in QSS TV, you can get that out of your repositories in just about any distribution that still has the amateur radio stuff active. Or you can go over and check it, check it out on its native site, which is pretty much got the change log, a little documentation. Uh, tarball and, uh, some other stuff. And that'll be users.telnet.be stroke ON4QZ stroke QSSTV. Uh, that'll take you right on in there. Alrighty. So we've got that pretty much taken care of. I guess we'll just go ahead and move on to some final thoughts here. I do want to give a shout out to codeweavers.com and codeweavers. They're the ones that currently maintain wine, and they're actually the ones who host the winehq.com website. But if you go to codeweavers.com, they also have specialized wine environments, some that run on Mac OS X, others that run on Linux, and one that is specifically for gaming. They have specific installers that allow you to more easily install Windows applications. They provide you with more libraries. And in the case of macOS and Gamer Editions, they provide extra libraries for games like MMORPGs and things like that to make them run better. They're always doing development for Wine and for their own uh, crossover products. Code Weavers, uh, they do a lot of good work. They give back to the community quite a bit. They're always at conferences and stuff that I'm at. And uh, it's definitely worth mentioning them. And their products are not free. They have basic products that usually run about 40 bucks, and they come with support. You can also get the pro versions for about $70 uh, for each of their applications. And all of that money goes into developing wine, the crossover suites, and for fostering interest in the OS community, uh, the OSS community as well. So just a shout out there to Code Weavers. They've, they've got a great product in wine. And you might want to just check out the CodeWeavers.com site uh, and their version, their overlay products called Crossover, uh, if you're interested in that, especially if you're a gamer and want to run your Windows games under Linux. For those of us like myself that are cheap, we use Wayne. But, yeah, if you uh, Code Weavers, they they got their fingers in all that stuff, and uh, they do have some stuff that if you don't mind paying a few dollars and... Uh, even as amateur radio operators, we don't mind, mind paying a little bit for some. Quite a few of those crossover uh, uh, applications or compatibility layers or whatever they call them that uh, are definitely uh, really good top-notch stuff. One thing I want to let you all know is I, I said I would do this as a favor, and I'm going to do it. Uh, y'all go over, uh, you new guys that need more information on, uh, getting into the entry level Linux, go on over to Fresh Ubuntu and check out their, uh, their podcast also. You know, we're going to fill y'all up with so much audio, you won't have any time to do anything else. But you can go over and, uh, and check them out. Harlem and, uh, Peter are a couple of good guys. They've got a good show. Uh, one thing they do, uh, have over there is something called the man page minute segment where they go over a specific man page, uh, every episode and give you some idea how those work. And for my money, at the very least, the man page minute is worth listening to them so that I learn how to use some of the commands that are in the, uh, in the terminal. 
Y'all go on over to Resonant Frequency web, the Resonant Frequency website and take a look around. Those of y'all that have been, uh, uh, listeners for a while and those of you who haven't been listeners, if you're an amateur radio operator, uh, come on over and take a look around. We're geared mostly towards the newer ham radio operators, but occasionally, just occasionally, we got something thrown in there for, uh, for, uh, you old timers. Well, I can't say you old timers, us old timers. Uh, my name is Richard, KB5JBV, and you can get a hold of me at KB5JBV.BlackSparrowMedia.com. KB5JBV at BlackSparrowMedia.com. Or follow me on Twitter or one of the thousands of social networks I seem to be attached to these days. I will be KB5JBV over there. Most specifically on on Twitter, you can find me at Twitter.com stroke KB5JBV. And don't forget to visit the forums. We have Linux and Hamshack forums and resident frequency forums over at BlackSparrowMedia.com. If you want to find Russ, you're going to have to ask him. Russ, where can we find you? You can find me uh, on Twitter.com at Twitter.com stroke J.R. Woodman. And you can use J.R. Woodman on just about every social networking site on the Internet. That includes Facebook, LinkedIn, MySpace, you name it. I'm out there somewhere. You can also follow the program on Twitter at twitter.com stroke hamshack Linux. And, of course, you can find uh, back episodes of the video and the live performance of this at ustream.tv. Just do a search for hamshack Linux or Linux in the hamshack, and that should bring us up. You can email me at k5tux at blacksparrowmedia.com or k5tux at lhsinfo.org. Make sure you post uh, comments on the website at blacksparrowmedia.com stroke LHS and post in the forums at blacksparrowmedia.com. So tell your friends, tell your neighbors, tell them to hide their radios in their computers because we will be back in a couple weeks. Don't forget to visit every place we told you to visit. Go see Chad Wallenberg at Linux Basement. Go see uh, uh, Harlem and Peter over at Fresh Ubuntu. And until next time, I'm Richard in in the bunker in Balt Springs, Texas. And I'm Russ in the rolling Ozark Hills and pine forests that are giving their allergy problem to Richard up here in north central Arkansas. And we will see you next time. Bye, y'all.